Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here is your host, Sarah Blackhurst. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen with Action 22. We have a great show for you today. This week, it's been uh, pretty interesting. They had a special session of the Colorado General Assembly. It was in response to a couple things. One is that uh, Congress still hasn't gotten their act together and got the stimulus package passed. And because they can't do it, once again, Colorado had to set the example and they called a special session in. They uh, found a little bit extra money in the budget that they didn't expect. And so they're using it specifically for the purpose of trying to help out um, because our federal government just hasn't gotten it together. So today we'll have uh, Danea Escar with us. Uh, She is a representative from Pueblo. She is uh, the minority leader and also um, chair of the JBC. And we'll hear from her in a few minutes. Um, and then later on in the show, we'll hear from, again from Mike Beasley, um, who is the, uh, with 5280 Strategies and, and one of the lobbyists up at um, the Capitol in Denver. So before that, I've also joined again with um, my, my faithful compadre, Brian McCain. How are you doing, Brian? I'm getting over COVID, as are you. We both have COVID. I gave it to Brian. Um, so let the rumors start because, um, yeah, I gave it to Brian. So we've been quarantined for the last uh, couple of weeks, getting over it a little bit. But, Jim, you're looking better than I expected you to look, um, having yeah. been <laughs> getting through this. So what's besides COVID? What's, well, first of all, tell us a little bit about your COVID experience and then tell us what else has been on your mind this week. Um, just COVID because I've been so <laughs> wiped out for the past, I think I'm on day 10 now and actually feeling better, but it, it was, uh, it was weird. Um, didn't get too sick, but like we talked about earlier, it's kind of like you have a headache, have a little bit of a fever and then you're fine and you think you're better and then you get sick again. And it went through like all the symptoms. So I didn't get all the symptoms at once. I would get like one symptom, start to feel better and get another symptom, start to feel better, get another symptom and just wiped out the entire time. Like that's probably, gosh, the tiredest I've ever been for that long a time. Even today, I'm still tired and I feel a million times better, but that's it. That's been, it's our whole house has it. So um, I usually love my little mountain cottage um, and rye, but uh, it's been it's been tough. And then, um, of course, you know, my mom is stubborn and we were trying to keep her away from us and it didn't it didn't really help. You know, she'd come by and check on her kids or whatever. So she's got it and she's pretty darn sick. I think she's going to be sick for a while. Um, and she we, we should have taken her to the hospital, but she just didn't want to. She's so terrified of going and being stuck there without anybody. Um, but she's starting to starting to get better. But um, along those same lines, um, a couple of our legislators, I don't think there's anybody who hasn't been touched by COVID at this point. I think a, a couple of months ago, you know, three, three months ago or so, we were saying, do you know of anybody personally that's actually had COVID? And now we're asking, now we're talking about people that we know personally that, that uh, have died from it. And so um, along that vein, I want to, I know there's a lot of people that have been, have lost and been I'm touched by this, but we want to give our love and affection out to um, Representative Donald Valdez, who lost his dad a few days ago. 
and also Richard Holtorf, um, who lost his aunt a, a few days ago as well. So um, our love and affection goes out to, to both of them um, on this. Um, and then one more, I, I needed to give a shout out. This isn't, this isn't a Colorado thing, but um, our second hometown is Haynes, Alaska. And they've had terrible flooding and landslides up there. They're on the national news. Uh, six people are missing. It's a tiny little town. It's, it's about 2,500 people there. It's a, mainly a fishing town. Um, and uh, and it's, it's a pretty desperate situation and it's still raining. Um, we, we know the mayor, we've heard from him and all of our friends up there. So our, just, our love and our prayers go out to, to them up there. It's just, I don't know how much more 2020 wants to throw at us. Um, so with that, let's, let's talk with Denea. Okay. Um, well, on the show today, we have representative Denea Escar, who is the house majority leader, um, to correct you from earlier from saying, Oh, nine. sorry, sorry, sorry. You're, <laughs> You're right. Just, sorry. <laughs> just a, a little bit of a background. Little, little, I, yeah. A little bit different. Um, I, I have known Denea probably more than half my life. I've known her since high school. Um, we went to the same college. We've had the same friends over the years. We've worked together um, before either of us even thought about getting into politics. You know, she's been a good friend and, and uh, I appreciate what she does. And I think um, she really does care about Pueblo and she works really hard to take care and look out for the area. So with that, I will turn it over to Denea. Uh, you're too kind, Brian. I appreciate that. We have known each other a very long time and have a lot of great conversations that didn't involve politics ever yes. and a lot of great conversations <laughs> that did involve politics, which is why I've always cherished our friendship. So thank you for that. And Sarah, thanks for having me on the show again. I love that you guys are doing this for the people of Southern Colorado. And as you've mentioned, people across the world to be able to really listen in and see what's happening in Colorado. And, you know, I'm just... I'm excited to be able to serve my last term in the House. I was just reelected in November. I've served six years and I'll be serving my last two years in the House as the majority leader now. Um, so I mean, I'm just excited to see what we can get accomplished and what other work we can do. You know, Sarah, you really alluded to the special session. We went back and forth for about a week trying to decide if the governor could just issue executive orders if we needed to do a special session, if we could just do this, uh, delay some of this funding for, you know, till January when we come back in regular session. And when we just saw the inactivity happening in Washington, D.C., we knew right. that we had to come together and we had to act and we had to come together for three days um, and work in a bipartisan way, which it really truly was, and across the aisle to make sure that this money that we were, we found in our budget, we can get out as soon as possible to the people of Colorado who absolutely need it right now. And you said, um, we were talking earlier that, you know, the, this special session was under the current Congress, not the, the next one that you take over as the House Majority Leader. So um, sure. what, uh, what was your job during the special session? <laughs> So I was in a, kind of a state of limbo because the joint, I was the chair of the joint budget committee during the 72nd general assembly and the joint budget committee has already started for the 73rd, but the special session is for the 72nd general assembly. So now that I'm majority leader for the 73rd, I wasn't for the 72nd. So I really didn't have a role. I was a legislator. Um, so they actually asked me to take on the safety protocols. It was a, it was a non, you know, 
professional committee. It was just some uh, bipartisan legislators and nonpartisan staff getting together to figure out how we could come back in three days in the height of a pandemic, in the height of its pandemic, and figure out how we safely do this, right? Um, and we had, it was really kind of a tall task to figure that out. And, you know, I've heard from the public before, well, why don't you just require masks and require testing like everyone else does? And, you know, you have public safety orders. And it sounds really simple, but it's really not. We have legislators who have a constitutional right to be in that building to represent the people that they represent no matter what, whether they want to wear a mask or they don't want to wear a mask. And so that made our job a little tougher. And instead of debating that back and forth, constantly figuring out how to make people wear masks, we came to the conclusion that let's just start from the point that we know there's going to be people in the building who aren't being safe. How do we manage the flow of the work to make sure that people can be as safe as possible within this space? And that's where the conversations of uh, remote participation came up. We even provided remote testimony opportunities for public. Um, the Capitol was open to the public, like it always is. Um, but we really encouraged people to either submit letters or join remotely to actually testify on any bills that they might want to talk about, just, just to keep public safety in mind. So that was really my job leading into special session. And the more conversations I was having, um, that you both know here in Pueblo, our COVID numbers are surging right now. Um, some people may or may not know this, but my wife is actually a registered nurse and she works with vulnerable populations every single day. I haven't left my house in probably a month because I haven't had to. I'm one of the, I'm one of the lucky ones and the privileged ones who don't have to leave my house right now. The idea of stepping into that building for three days, knowing full well that there were going to be people who weren't taking precautions and bringing that home, potentially exposing her, potentially exposing her patients, just wasn't something that I could weigh with my conscience that I needed to do. So I, it was really interesting. I participated remotely. And I can tell you, honestly, besides the camaraderie and the environment that I'm around when you're on the floor or when you're in the Capitol was the only thing that was missing. I tuned into every committee hearing. I followed along with all the bills. I even watched, it. people were laughing at me when they found this out, but I was tuned into the House floor here, but I also had another computer screen watching the Senate floor as well, so I can hear what was going on with the Senate bills that were going to come over to the House because it was such a condensed version of a session that I actually found it beneficial, and I, I really was able to dig in and learn about the bills. So it was it was just interesting. At the end of the day, I really want to just congratulate all of my colleagues we got a lot of amazing work done in three days, and I believe in a safe manner. We'll know, you know, in another week or two if anyone ends up coming up positive with COVID. But we had KN95 masks provided for every legislator and staff as they walk through the door every day. And there was rapid tests available every single day for those who chose to take them. Um, so we, we really upped the ante to make sure that it was as safe as possible. And I'm just crossing my fingers that in a week or two, we'll know that we were successful. Nice. Um, and then going back to the special session, you know, um, one of my coworkers in my previous job, she's a restaurant owner in Durango and um, you know, they're just getting hit hard right now. Like this is yeah. something that had to be done and you saw bipartisan support across the board for this. You know, I, I think that all legislators realized that regardless where they were at on everything, something had to be done because it's just, it's killing us right now, especially in rural Colorado. Um, 
I, I don't know what the numbers are, but just the restaurant closures, bar closures, and, you know, being in Pueblo, we have a lot of bartenders, servers and stuff, and they've been out of work for a long time. Yeah. Um, so, so with this, you know, going forward, what's uh, some of the ways that the special session is going to help these people and these businesses and workers? Sure. I- I can kind of maybe just run through the bills, uh, yeah, a real yeah. quick summary of the bills that actually made it through. I won't discuss all of them that were introduced because quite frankly, I, I may not have remembered all the ones that didn't make it out of a committee. So um, the ones that made it through and I'll, I'll tell you who the sponsors were too. Um, we'll start with Senate Bill 1 that was sponsored by um, Democrat uh, Senator Faith Winter and Republican Senator Kevin Priola. And um, it was Representative Herod and Representative um, Sandridge in the House. So again, bipartisan. Um, Senate Bill 1 actually sends $57 million in direct aid grants and annual fee waivers to struggling small businesses with a priority kind of um, those that are operating in counties experiencing severe capacity restrictions. So if you think about the dial that we talk about in Colorado, those that are in orange and red, um, this is really focused on them because if you're in a county that isn't under those restrictions, you may not be hurting as bad. I'm, I'm not denying that even those in those counties aren't hurting, but they're not hurting as bad as those that are in the more restrictive areas. So this money is going directly to them. Um, it'll also create grant programs and allocate funds specifically for art and cultural organizations, as well as minority-owned businesses. We heard, uh, we got the data, the data back that across the state, over 41 percent of minority owned businesses had completely closed and weren't eligible for any for some of these loans that had been coming through the other businesses were able to um, accumulate so we wanted to make sure and put a focus on that and I know that a lot of people kind of are scratching their heads about the art and cultural piece but it really is a massive factor when you talk about the economic drivers in Colorado you often don't think about venues but venues are a massive economic driver across uh, the entire state so we wanted to make sure to bring those back into the conversation as well, because they, they've just, they've been shuttered. Whereas some restaurants have opened and closed or figured out delivery or figured out takeout, not saying that doesn't hurt either, but venues themselves have literally been shuttered since March. And how do we, how do we help keep them around? So when we come out of COVID, cause we will come out of COVID, we still have arts and culture as a part of our community. So that was a part of Senate bill one, um, Senate bill two, was sponsored by Julie Gonzalez and Chris Holbert, senators. And I'm sorry, I spaced. Oh, I spaced who was in the House. I can look that up though. Well, Senate Bill do, Two did um, provide sixty million dollars for emergency housing assistance to individuals and households who are in financial need due specifically to COVID nineteen. And of that funding, a million dollars will specifically support the eviction legal assistance fund. Uh, to help Coloradans stay in their homes this winter because it's the last thing we need. Um, we don't need people being homeless at all, but especially in the middle of winter, in the middle of a pandemic, it's the last thing we need. Um, we want to make sure as well that um, the bill puts in place a provision that seeks to ensure that tens of thousands of unemployed Coloradans can continue to have access to the federally funded program of uh, state extended benefits program through December 26. We're really trying to just we know that none of these are solutions um, and it, none of this, none of the bills that we passed has enough money to take care of everything we need to take care of. It's what we could afford in Colorado to at least put a Band-Aid. Somebody said, a, a representative um, in the House said, I don't want to put this 
sorry, I'm watching my dog get stung by a wasp right now. Oh, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, they want to, he didn't want to put a bandaid on a hemorrhage, which I understand, but I'd rather have a bandaid on a hemorrhage than nothing at all while we're waiting for Washington to act. So please keep that in mind as I'm talking through these bills is that we all completely understand that this is not enough money. This is not the perfect solution to keep small businesses going, to keep people in their houses, to make sure that, you know, everything's back to better. We know that. It's just what we thought we could afford to do and what we can move through in a bipartisan way. Um, Senate Bill 3 was sponsored by uh, Senator Rhonda Fields, a Democrat, and Senator Larry Crowder, who we all know here in Southern Colorado. Um, it appropriates $5 million to the Energy Outreach Colorado Low Income Energy Assistance Fund. And those of us in Pueblo, specifically, I'll, I'll just talk from that experience, knows how important this is because this helps people actually keep their utilities on um, in the middle of winter. Again, in the middle of a pandemic. And this is so, so important. They were running low on money. We originally were going to do, uh, we were trying to do a little bit more, but we realized we can do $5 million now. And if we have to revisit this again in January, if there's funds, we can do it as well. But this is literally for Coloradans that are struggling to pay their utility bills. And with the cold winters we get in Southern Colorado, I, I was absolutely in favor of this bill. I was in favor of all these bills, but this was one of the ones that was really near and dear to me to really continue to push. Because whether we want to get into a conversation about Black Hills Energy or not, we do have some of the highest utility rates in the country in a very low income area of Pueblo. And you add on top of that, we were just talking about servers, about bartenders, people that have been um, either underemployed or unemployed, trying to pay their utility bills as well. It's a struggle. So we, we knew this was absolutely important. Um, Senate Bill 4 um, actually makes it allocates $100 million to ensure that the state can continue to protect public health while waiting for that extra federal stimulus to come in um, from FEMA. So this money is actually money we're taking from the general fund with the hopes of when the federal dollars come in to replace the general fund. So this is kind of like our own internal loan, but we absolutely knew we had to do this because we still have to provide tests. We still have to make sure that we are uh, doing all of the public safety measures, contact tracing, everything we need to do that we're responsible for as a state to keep people healthy, we had to continue to invest in. So that's that's what Senate Bill 4 did. And now moving over to the House, um, House Bill 1001 was sponsored by Representative Mary Young from Greeley and Representative Matt Soper from Mesa County. Um, it dedicates $20 million towards increasing our state's broadband capacity, which is a massive issue for Southern Colorado as well. Um, you know, we had a lot of conversations with more and more kids being forced to do school from home. We absolutely have to make sure that these school districts have the resources available to help those kids be successful. So this is $20 million to, um, that actually helps connect these students. Um, we know that there's so many families that are struggling with financial stability and they can't afford to cover the cost of internet, can't afford to cover the cost of the hardware to make sure these kids can do what they need to do. And actually making sure that schools have a way to help make that broadband really um, help reach the students, whether it's, uh, somebody explained it, and I'm not a techie, but somebody explained, it, I think it was Representative Soper on the floor, even if it's helping a school put a new antenna up on their roof to make sure that they can help send out their wireless signal a little further for some students. So it's, again, not perfect, right? It's not the broadband 
miracle that we're all hoping and waiting and wishing for in Colorado, but it's something. It's $20 million specifically to some of these school districts that we absolutely know are struggling to get their kids the internet access that they deserve, especially as we're waiting to get back into the schools. Um, House Bill 1002 was sponsored by Representative Kathy Kipp um, and Representative Lois Langraff. It's $45 million to enable existing childcare providers to keep their doors open and new providers to open and meet the needs of working parents, especially in childcare deserts across Colorado. We know that there are some folks who their kids have to do um, school from home, but they have to go to work. So how do, what do we do in the meantime in this balance and making sure that childcare is available, childcare is safe, um, making sure that people are able to really continue to work and, and thrive in the middle of a pandemic while still having good quality childcare for their kids. $45 million isn't the answer to our childcare issues across Colorado, but it's definitely a step in the right direction for the next few months to make sure that um, these, these existing childcare providers can keep their doors open and that new providers really are able to help figure out the solution. Um, House Bill 1003 was sponsored by Reps Letha Cutter and Rod Bockenfeld. Um, it devotes $5 million to replenishing essential community services for food banks. This was actually a bill I was excited to have been the sponsor of um, during the what we call the COVID session, which has only came back for that short three weeks. Um, it's absolutely essential that we, we address the food security issues across Colorado in the middle of a pandemic when people are unemployed or underemployed can't afford food. We we passed a, a bill last year. We thought it might be enough to get us through. And when we started talking to the food pantries themselves, realizing not only did they not have enough money to provide enough food, but they didn't have enough money to provide enough staff to get what they have out to the people that need it. And we originally started this conversation for a special session at $3 million. And it was actually a great group of legislators that came together and said, is there any way we can up this by $2 million? Because $5 million is not even enough to cover food insecurities across Colorado in the middle of a pandemic, but at least it's more than the 3 million as well. And we can get that money out. We can get it distributed into the areas that absolutely need it to make sure that nobody's going hungry because nobody should be going hungry, especially if we have the resources available to help. Um, and the last bill is uh, House Bill 1004, sponsored by Representative Alex Valdez and Representative Kevin Van Winkle. Um, it allows restaurants, bars, and food trucks to retain state sales tax that they collect from November of 2020 through February of 2021. And we know that, again, this isn't a huge amount of money, especially if you don't have a whole lot of income coming in or a lot of sales happening, but it's what the state could do. We have that ability to say, hold on to your state sales tax, right? It, it'll provide bars and restaurants up to $2,000 per location but it's limited to up to five locations. So we don't have the Walmart and the McDonald's out there taking this money away from the state. It's the actual small businesses who need the break, um, making sure that you know they can, they can have that small relief. $2,000 may not sound like a lot, but if you ask a struggling small business owner right now, they could do something with that $2,000 instead of handing it over to the state in taxes. So uh, some people are calling it a tax vacation. I don't really look at it that way. We're just saying, hey, hold on to that, figure out another way, whether it's investing in your employees, investing in your rent, whatever you need to do with that, your business, hold on to it for a few months. So 
I think, I know I'm long-winded here, but I think the overall scope of the special session, you can see bipartisan, really looking out for the necessities and the people that are struggling the most right now because of the pandemic and getting the money out as soon as possible for all of these situations really was, I want to say, extraordinary. And I know it's called an extraordinary session, but it really truly was to get that amount of work done in a bipartisan manner in such an orchestrated fashion done in three days for the people of Colorado. And I truly believe that this is something that the people of Colorado could be really proud of. Yeah. And I think one important thing to add on this, um, you know, my background comes from the more conservative Republican side of things and, you know, money's a thing and, and you always hear the argument, you know, the government's just giving out money, but in this pandemic, people are losing their jobs, losing their income, losing their business, at no fault of their own. This is actually a right. government shutdown on the businesses and the government telling them to stay home and they can't work. And I think that's why it's so important. And, and, and again, it's bipartisan. So you're seeing both sides come together on this because people are hurting at no fault of their own right now. Absolutely. And, and not only is it, I think of it as an investment because this is money we're investing back into the economy. If we can keep these small businesses afloat for a few more months, if we can keep people being able to work because they have childcare provided to them for a couple more months, this is money that should be an investment that'll come right back out again in the economy. And that's really the focus and the way we looked at these. Yeah. And being a previous owner of a bar and venue, um, I, I can really appreciate that too, especially on the venue side and being a musician, you know, I'm still talk to people that that own venues and that are in yep. bands. And, and that's one that I think been overlooked quite a bit during this is the people that make their living touring, touring musicians. You know, I have yep. good friends that that's all they do and they're out $90,000 so far since this has happened. Wow. Um, you know, and, and they're, they're figuring ways, you know, everybody f- kind of figures it out. They keep going forward and they're doing things, but it, it's not the same and they don't know when it'll be the same. So all this is very much appreciated. Um, Absolutely. And I think, uh, thank you for that. And uh, Sarah, I'll turn it back over to you since we're going to break. Yeah. So Danae, thanks so much for being, um, being with us today. We're so, we're so proud of you. Us Pueblo people are so proud of you. Proud <laughs> thank that you. You, <laughs> um, you really do have a heart for the, for our area and all of our action 22 um, legislators. Um, I call them the action 22 because they're the ones that represent our area, but they're fantastic. I think what the, th- the thing that um, I'm going to remember from our discussion today is um, you understand that it's not going to do it, but it's what we can afford to do. And that was the really, that was the really heavy lift. So um, thanks again so much for, for being with us. Um, we appreciate it. Um, we're, we're, uh, we want to hear a little bit um more just keep us keep us posted um, and we'll keep everybody posted on if the session's going to be delayed or how that's going to work so we'll talk a little bit about that um, a few weeks down the road um, when we come back from the break we're going to have Mike Beasley with us and he's going to give us a, some perspectives I, we had a great run through with Denea on what exactly the bills did and now we're going to see some um, perspectives on what some of those potential impacts are. Um, so join us and just uh, stay with us for just a few minutes. Um, if you want to email any questions to Denea or to uh, Mike Beasley or to us today, you can do that on uh, at sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. We will um, hear, we'll talk to you again in just a, in just a few moments.
become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Welcome back, uh, folks. We are now joined by, uh, again, by Mike Beasley, who is the uh, president of 5280 Strategies, for those of you who don't know Mike Beasley, he's one of the more interesting people in the state, in the public policy arena. He's got one of the coolest resumes ever, um, but he's a ninja. Nobody actually knows what he looks like or who he is. They don't know for sure. They just know that this Mike Beasley, this mysterious guy is um, getting some work done behind the scenes. So um, he's joining us today to give a, a different perspective or some impact um, perspectives on the set of legislation that just got passed in what uh, is being called the extraordinary session. Well, good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. Brian and I are both getting a little bit better. Um, so I gave him the COVID. Uh, we're, we're at home. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that. And I hope you both get well as soon as possible. And um, and I want to apologize in advance. We're washing our windows and that around the house, and our dog is not very happy about that. So you'll probably be hearing some noise over the next few minutes. That's uh, fine. So I'll apologize in advance. But, you know, I thought Representative Escar did a, a, a really good job at explaining um, what these bills, you know, the, the intent of the, of the dollars and, and the fact that in her case, as a leader um, uh, of the budget committee and a future majority leader, she, she they were able to thread together 
uh, on a package of bills in a bipartisan way um, that I haven't seen in years, frankly, uh, ways to address some of these issues. And what I saw uh, firsthand was a frustration with Washington, D.C. by both political parties. Um, and, and, and a majority of, of both political parties in the legislature upset with Washington, D.C. And that is really unique, um, I can say, for Colorado politics. Um, and I think reflective of what legislators are hearing and what um, folks in Action 22's territory are saying, you can go for a walk in any shopping district and see um, businesses that have been there for years that are gone. Um, or that are shuttered and that you know may or may not be able to uh, come back when when the this virus uh, uh, you know gets under control. And so I thought what we saw uh, the legislature do um, was really historic and I, I commend them for it. I really do. So before we get into um, too deep of analysis and, and Brian, if you want to weigh in, uh, I, th- I agree with you the the whole, um, failure, and I don't think it can be said any less, failure um, of D.C. to pass something that's going to be impactful. I think it was it was a political ploy before, but they're really holding everybody hostage. What's the excuse now? I, you know, I don't know. I'm coming from the federal side of things, but what I do know, just to echo what um, Mike said, that, you know, bipartisan kind of this frustration with the feds. You know, I, I saw multiple interviews of people across the country this week that are just basically pissed off at Congress because they didn't get the help. They need the help. And even the first round of help they may not have got. So again, this is, this is a bipartisan frustration and I'll turn it back over to Mike. Well, and you know, look, this really is a public health issue. And the best thing that, that to help address that in my, my words would be um, for folks to stay home. Um, or to, to uh, work remotely or to shop curbside, th- those types of things. And if the government's going to lead us to, to that um, solution, um, we need to find ways to address them. And I think that that first relief package at the federal level really did help. And it's one of the reasons why um, Representative Escar referenced, you know, that in July you saw state revenues pop up because businesses were able to stay open. And, and I really think as we're hitting um, a, a, a new peak just yesterday, you know, um, infection rate, hospitalization rate, death rate at an all-time high, uh, like no other country on the planet right now, um, we've got to figure out a way to get through it. And I thought the legislature did, to, you know, thread together exactly uh, a package to help those most vulnerable businesses. And trust me, Republicans who voted no on that bill, in my opinion, it wasn't that they didn't want to offer that assistance, which normally, you know, for some of them would be offensive to have government step in this way, but they wanted to do more for more people, uh, more businesses. And that's really what, it was historic what we watched. Um, and so uh, we've seen uh, just today in the in the press, um, uh, Senator McConnell and others indicate that they're willing to do more. I think the risk that these legislators took, frankly, uh, to put it in, in a diff- through a different lens is, um, you know, we have these uh, Tabor reserves or these b- budget, um, these bank accounts in our state budget for a rainy day. Well, it's raining, and and never have I seen. 
um, the the legislature, even in bad economic times, get um, all the way to just the basic minimum of what's required in our budget reserves. And um, with the hope, obviously, that our economy continues to to function in a way to provide revenues, but also the federal government will step in and and start to be a better partner, um, uh, which we, you know, I hope we see in the next 90 or so days. Gosh, I hope so. So let's go back to what was an example of of how it should be done. Um, And I know that you worked remote, that you worked remotely. And that's a difficult thing for you because you typically like to be in the thick of things. This was a very conscious decision on your part to to stay home and to not be there. And there were several, and Denea did the same thing. Um, So from your perspective, what was sort of the spirit at the Capitol? You know, again, I think uh, something that you don't see very often, we saw a bipartisan working together, urban, suburban, rural legislators that, you know, what can we get done? I saw legislators in both parties who typically don't get along, even with their own party, not only work with their own party, but the others. You saw bipartisan sponsorships of nearly all of these big bills. Um, you saw folks that were concerned about um, COVID and, uh, not just in terms of, of uh, what's going on in the public, but making sure they didn't spread it to their colleagues. We actually had one legislator in the middle of all of this test positive, um, um, a, a more rural legislator. And she, you know, I think was quite surprised. She wears a mask. She does everything that she should do to stay safe. Um, and it just shows that it, you know, this virus doesn't just go after it doesn't recognize party affiliation, right? It, 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 uh, <laughs> no. it goes, it goes after everybody and, and we're really seeing the effects of it and we're watching it not just in business, but think about the, the pressure on your school boards and your school superintendents to open up schools, not just from the governor, for example, but from parents. Yeah. Um, and, um, um, just in, in the car um, on my way back from uh, my own doctor's appointment today, I was getting text messages from school districts around the state frustrated with our Department of Health um, interpreting what the CDC Center for Disease Control did yesterday on, on um, quarantining whether you show symptoms or not because it's their it's CDC um, guidelines, I think, are reflective of how we're learning more about this virus and our state public or state department of health needs to, to really continue to, to try and do better to work with local governments. You saw the Metro mayor's caucus, Um, the mayors of the Metro Denver area send a letter to the governor day before yesterday saying, we need help understanding what your department of health is doing. My word. Right. And, and that's a frustration. It doesn't matter whether you're, again, urban in Denver or suburban in Aurora or rural, anywhere in Action 22's footprint. We're all having the same issues with our state regulators. Yeah. So at the Capitol for this session, what did you see was the biggest fight? Um, that's a great question. I, I don't know that there was a big fight. What I would say is that there, the biggest frustration by both parties is that they couldn't do more for more people. And that's when you could really see the frustration among Republicans grow with Washington, D.C. I don't think they rallied in, uh, walked in on Monday and said that those damn folks in Washington, D.C., but you could really see it grow. 
um, as this debate evolved. And as, as legislators educated each other, Representative Escar just had a really good example where she mentioned what Representative Soper from Grand Junction was saying, uh, or from the West Slope was saying about how uh, broadband would work. And, you know, it was really a learning experience for a lot of these legislators, and frankly, me as a casual observer of the process, to um, really see what the effects are around the state, because we're not all getting in our cars and driving places, and we're not able to see firsthand, and that it really was a great um, effort. So I wouldn't say there was a fight. What there was was a growing frustration. Yeah. Well, and I... I almost apologize for, my, for our previous show because I, I said, damn those people in Washington, get your damn, do the damn job. So um, I will say it uh, where they're going to be nicer about it, but it's, it's getting to the point where um, I think we have to start talking about accountability for them not doing their job and getting this done. So let's talk a little bit about the impacts of this legislation. I know, you know, the frustration, like you said, is that it's not enough. It's not enough, but um there is going to be some impact. I mean, there is going to be some good done with this. So let's talk a little bit about the implications and the impact and, and what from your perspective is maybe the biggest um, impact or the most productive impact from that, that group of, um, or that package of uh, legislation. Well, I, I would say that the broadband bill, um, and again, I think that's kind of a misnomer that really allows technology um, to be invested in to help kids learn. And, you know, broadband is an issue that we're familiar with in rural Colorado because it, you know, we don't have the connectivity that we want and frankly have been promised for the last 25 years. Right. And over-promised and under-delivered, although there's Correct. progress being made every day. But imagine, you know, there are places in Aurora, um, I, I represent Cherry Creek School District, there are places in Aurora where you, you can't get cell coverage. Um, and so they're buying them little hotspot connectors. Um, That's what some of this money will be used for. Um, And there were, this was a good example where the bill was originally drafted in a way that school districts would qualify for the money if their download speeds were at a certain speed. And what we found during that exercise of of this bill going through the process was, is that no one in rural Colorado really would have qualified with the way it was originally introduced. So what I saw was both parties and school districts working together to fix that bill, to amend it. Those right. sponsors couldn't have been better about it. And and so I think that's one of the more significant things, especially I don't see a lot of schools opening between now and January, but I do see schools uh, opening in January and staying open as the governor um, and legislators and county commissioners and others keep pushing for more reasonable and understandable public health guidelines um, that, for example, that the spacing, um, you know, kid A, um, has the infection and if he's in a room for a certain period of time and he's within you know 10 feet or so of other kids and the teacher it knocks all of them out and so we're you know what the school superintendents have been asking for is some moderation there to let the right. science kind of catch up to and the experience learned so far not just here but around the world to kind of fix that problem to allow schools to stay open because, you know, my niece is a teacher and I'll tell you what, I think uh, she has cried more than the kids about doing online learning um, (laughs) because she has first graders and it's so hard on her. Um, And she'd rather do it in person. And I think the kids benefit. And if that happens and parents have an easier opportunity to work, uh, to work um, uninterrupted, 
um, and all the things that you know that will happen related to that that are positive. So I expect these bills lay that foundation, for example, on, on House Bill 1001 to kind of continue progress in that area. And I see a benefit for sure in that regard. What I really liked about the broadband bill and I don't know what you call it otherwise, but um, with that particular bill, was it was really going to spark that conversation about who says what's enough as far as broadband. So, um, and, and how, because now post COVID, we're really going to have to have that conversation about um, if you've got multiple people at home and I have the best broadband in the state. I mean, we have the best Wi-Fi in the state um, where I'm at with right telephone because I have fiber directly to our house. But with my husband being a teacher and conducting classes and twins and me working from home and my son home from college and working from home and all that sort of thing, there were some moments where that was even stressed. So um, that was, I liked that they are having the, who's getting to decide what's enough and that the school districts are really starting to say, this is what we actually need. Um, And that conversation is going to be an important one, I think, in the future. Sarah, and it's going to be interesting going forward with uh, the FCC defining what broadband actually is, because right now I think it's five and 25. I mean, that's better than the three and 10 or whatever. You yeah. Speak. But yeah. I have three kids in online school right now, <laughs> and I'm sort of working from home, and my wife's taking online classes as well, and we have gig speed internet, and it doesn't even work right now half the time. Yeah. Right. So. Well, and, and that's... That was an alarming um, discussion before. That was a huge fight on that discussion before defining what that is. That's going to be even bigger now. The fight's going to be huge on that one. Um, so is, was there anything else that you saw that you really were happy to see, Mike, on, on all this, on this package that, that if, if not you know, impactful a model? I will tell you, um, for me, um, obviously, the, the business stuff makes sense and the tax sales tax credit that Representative Escar just talked about, all of that makes sense and to help people stay in business. But as a volunteer board member for Volunteers of America on their Colorado board, we've seen the number of folks that are struggling to put food on the table, not in terms of um, just paying the bills, but literally hunger and, and, and food shortages, I would call it. Um, not that the grocery stores aren't packed, but, you know, folks, folks that have to go to, um, to a food shelter or a food pantry to get food, those numbers are through the roof like we've never seen in our lifetime. And it's not just here, it's across the country. And, and why Volunteers of America won't benefit from um, that particular bill, um, but your local food pantries will, in, in, and especially in some of our rural communities, um, I, I felt that that was a very important bill. Uh, another bill that I, that I worked on was um, additional funding for Energy Outreach Colorado to provide energy assistance to folks, you know, and, and um, one of my clients is XL Energy, but it, it, it benefits, it benefits um, um, uh, utility customers across the state. So whether you're on propane um, in a rural part of the state or Black Hills in Pueblo or Excel gas in Pueblo, what have you, um, you're, you're eligible. There'll be more money there. And if you're eligible, you need to apply and you should contact Energy Outreach Colorado or your local county human services office uh, and really um, take advantage of those programs. And I was very proud that we worked on that and supported that 
Um, and it is making a big difference. We're seeing uh, at least a 25 to 30% increase on demands for that. Um, and when you think about it, we're not working at home. Right. For those of us who are lucky enough to, to be working, we're working at home. The lights are on right. um, and they're on all day long. Um, and to the point earlier uh, that Brian made about, you know, we've got all our kids are hooked up to the Internet and we're all using uh, energy. And even though it's at a record low price right now, people still need help. And so to me, um, that bill was very much uh, worth it. And then finally, um the housing assistance one is is something that even President Trump has talked about in terms of uh, foreclosures and evictions that that his orders um, um, delaying those kind of, of uh, actions runs out at the end of December. The governor has issued his own orders in that regard. This is really trying to get a significant amount of money uh, to communities um, to try and um, offset that and and people are able to go to the Department of Local Affairs website to the Division of Housing for more information or again any of your county commissioners or your county human services websites um, I'm sure we'll be able to direct you there and 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 I know we've got a I'm sure we have a list of these bills um, on Action 22's website folks can click right onto the bill and right. it'll take you right to it and you can read it for yourself. Um, and we've been sending out uh, the emails and, and stuff. And thanks for sending that out to us. So I'm going to ask you um, as the as the resident ninja to get out your crystal ball, switch hats and get out your crystal ball and tell us a little bit about where you see the light at the end of the tunnel. When do we get out of the tunnel? Um, what does that look like? Um, and then not as legislators, but just as, as people who drive policy, and all of us who are in this arena, what do we do to help the situation? Well, for me, the first thing is just to try and uh, keep patient uh, and calm. And I mean that uh, in this way, in, in this way, um, I feel like most folks like and I saw policymakers in this last session, they feel helpless. Um, we are getting our information through the news. We're getting our information through briefings from governors at pre and presidents at press conferences. Well, let's say governors and, um, and, um, and from our public health officials. And they're learning about this virus nearly the same time, in my opinion, that, that, that you and I are. Right. And so um, we've got to be patient. We've got to hold steady to the goal of getting through what the head of CDC talked about yesterday, December, February, uh, January and February. And let's hope the legislature for in my case comes back. Um, I, I don't feel safe in that building. I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, it's too close quarters for those of you who've been in that building. It's, it's not designed for uh, high um, density participation. Um, but um, my hope is we can revenues, businesses can stay open. We can get kids back in schools and these uh, vaccines will, will begin to be deployed and take effect. Um, otherwise I don't see a way of getting out of it. I really don't. Um, we have, I have, as I've mentioned, I've known myself personally, I've known more people infected in the last two weeks and who have passed away than I have in the previous six or seven months. And so that tells me that we're all not doing something right and we got to make it right or next year in my, uh, my fears will be just as bad. Um, well, thanks for, thanks for that. I am. So the message is uh, 
as far as these decision makers go, give give them a break, give and give ourselves a break, and and just be smart about certain things. Brian, do you see um, anything as sort of the light at the end of the tunnel? I do. From a you know a federal standpoint, it seems like they're as of today they're starting to talk, and they they do realize that something has to be done. Um, so hopefully, again, um, maybe 60, 90 days out, we still have to get through this whole presidential election thing that's happening right now. Um, but, I, you know, I could just say this, that we're all in this together, and that includes our legislators from the top all the way down to, you know, the local dog catcher, like they're in the same boat as us. So something has to be done, and I think they will do something. And again, I think this is starting to bring us together more and more as it goes on, realizing that we need to find a solution together and we will. Well, I hope uh, that, you know, I think the three of us are pretty proud of, of the um, Colorado General Assembly and everybody who's up there. We know that it's, it's not as glamorous as it is on the federal level for these guys um, and they do a really good job. And so I know um, that the three of us appreciate them and send our thanks out to them, but um, actually, or Colorado in general is looked to as a model for so many things. All I can do is hope that on this particular issue that, that we continue to be the model that everybody wants to emulate in, across the country um, as far as how to get this done right. So let's hope for that. Well, with that, Mike, thanks again so much for um, coming on the show today and, and all your wisdom and insight. I appreciate it. Appreciate it so much. Um, we hope that you stay safe out there. Um, Brian, thanks for um, being on again. We will, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the whole broadband thing. We will have AT&T on um, and someone from the broadband office as well, um, the Colorado broadband office to talk a little bit about that report that's come out, um, put out before uh, a few weeks ago, or a few months ago. Um, so we'll talk about that. So thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, if for next week's show, you have any questions, please feel free to email us and we will read out those questions on the air and uh, give you credit for those. Um, thanks again for joining us. We will talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your host, Sarah Blackhurst, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.